More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host, and I want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You know, you can extend your listening time to the podcast and have some extra episodes, if you will. If you join our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, we continue conversations there quite a bit. And also, we can just talk about anything that you feel like talking about on a particular day. It's great to have input from other survivors and advice and tips and sometimes just a place where you can vent your frustrations. That happens quite a bit, and I love it. I love to see people being able to share with each other how they feel and just having a place where people can be supported, especially survivors of sexual abuse. So you can join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. Just search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook and send a request to join the group, and I will add you to the group as soon as I can, and you can be a part of the conversation there. You know, something else exciting here at Survivor Sanctuary Sanctuary is that you have an opportunity to support the podcast. If you visit anchor.fm slash survivor sanctuary, you can click on support and become a monthly supporter of the podcast. If you like the podcast, you want to keep hearing it and keep this content coming out to you. Well, you can become a monthly supporter starting at 99 cents a month and going up from there. So if you want to support, that's something you can do anchor.fm slash survivor sanctuary and click on support. Well, speaking of support, that is kind of the topic of conversation on the podcast today. I'm talking about why we as survivors sometimes have a really, really difficult time asking for help. Now, the topic is on my mind this week, especially as I have gone through a pretty big struggle, uh, my goodness, going back about five days. So I help take care of my dad, as I've mentioned on the podcast previously. He is a stroke survivor, paralyzed on his left side, so he can't walk. He can't stand up or sit up by himself, and he just needs a lot of support. So I help take care of him and love my dad. He's awesome. But you know, sometimes his health issues are just very, very traumatizing, and this past week, was definitely one of those times. Um, He developed a fever. He had been not feeling great, but was on an antibiotic and it seemed to be taking care of the issue. And then suddenly he was in a lot of pain and was having these weird like convulsion type things, like some sort of muscle spasms. I don't know which can happen, but it was a little extreme. And then suddenly he developed a fairly high fever. It was about 102 degrees when I checked it. And so we definitely at that point had to call an ambulance. Now during this whole pandemic thing, which if you're listening to Survivor Sanctuary around the time that this airs, you know that the world is still going through the coronavirus crisis. Well, The thing that scares me the most or that has scared me the most about having a health scare with my dad during coronavirus is that he has to go to the hospital by himself. So I just, we had to call 911. We had to send him in an ambulance and just trust that the hospital was going to take care of him, meet all of his needs, get him better and get him back to us in one piece. And it was just a super stressful situation. So 
Here on Survivor Sanctuary in the past, I've mentioned that I deal with anxiety. And one of the reasons I bring up anxiety is not because this podcast is all about anxiety, but because anxiety is basically the gift that childhood sexual abuse gave to me. It was like if one thing, you know, that childhood sexual abuse really left me with is quite a few scars and wounds, but the one major thing that I struggle with as a result of having been abused as a child is anxiety. So that is why it will come up quite a bit here on the podcast, because we all have different things that we struggle with because of having been abused as children. And for me, anxiety is a really big one and it really greatly affects my life. So it's something that's going to you know, come up as a topic of conversation sometimes here on the podcast. In fact, a couple of episodes ago, we talked all about anxiety and different ways to deal with it. Well, so you know, maybe based on those past episodes that I've been having a bit of a struggle with this flare up of just some awful anxiety. Some of it's related to medication, some of it's related to genetics, and some of it's related to trauma. And it just has been a perfect storm of terribleness over the last about three weeks, I would say almost a month. So when you add a traumatic like health crisis with my dad to the anxiety mix, things were just completely out of control. And I just had to stop this past week and ask for help. And like, I was just at that breaking point where if I don't ask somebody to help me, things are not going to be good. And one of the things about anxiety that I I don't want to say it's a good thing about anxiety, but it's very telling to me. And that is that, you know, throughout the course of normal life, I can kind of keep it together and I can be the strong one and I can help other people through their crises and just kind of carry a lot on my shoulders. But when it comes to really, really bad anxiety, that's when my brain and my body just decide like, you're not going to be able to keep up your facade of perfect strength anymore. And you're just going to have to be real and you're going to have to let it all hang out. And that's something that I have not been able to control when it comes to having issues with anxiety. So I just get to that point where I have to ask for help because there's no other choice. Like that's all that there is to do. So the walls come down and that show of strength just kind of takes a break and it's like, somebody needs to help me because I'm not okay. So I just reached out for help and I got it. And so I'm now kind of trying out a new solution to anxiety or like a new way of dealing. And it's all because I was finally just like, okay, I got to ask somebody for help because I can't do this. Like I was trying to manage my anxiety on my own and trying to figure out how to get through every single day, uh, just dealing with it. And then when the health scare happened with my dad, it was like, that was all out the window. And I just finally had to stop and ask for help. And there's a part of me that has always hated that. It's like when my anxiety gets to the point where I can no longer control how I look to other people, I view that as like the weakest, most wimpy version of myself. But the reality is that finally asking for help, though we perceive it as making us look weak or super vulnerable, or like we can't handle our own lives, however we feel about it, it's not weakness. It's actually a strength to be able to stop and say, you know what, the reality is I need help. I can't do everything myself. I can't fix all of my own problems. And I need for another human being or several of them to give me some support. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I posted something about how asking for help is actually a sign of strength and not weakness. I posted that in Survivor Sanctuary, and I just asked if anybody else struggles with asking for help like I do. And I got quite a few really great comments from people who all seem to be kind of on the same page with it being difficult to ask for help. Now, I will say this is a little caveat before I get into why I think it's difficult for survivors of sexual abuse to ask for help. I'll just tell you this. 
I don't think that this like condition, if you want to call it a condition or the feeling that asking for help is a weakness, I don't think that that's exclusive to survivors of sexual abuse or survivors of trauma. I think that it's part of the human condition. Uh, We're all sort of molded and shaped as kids into what we're supposed to be like. And we're kind of taught, you know, like don't ask for anything. I'll give you another example uh, from the hospital. Like my mom is a nurse practitioner, but she was a nurse for years. And so she knows the ropes. Like she knows how tough it is for nurses. And she's a great one, by the way, she's like more helpful than any nurse that I've ever experienced. Like she'll go above and beyond for people, but she would always tell us nurses are so busy. We don't even have time to pee during the day. Like we don't eat lunch. We don't have time to pee. We can barely think straight. So when people are super needy and they just ask for things all day long, it is really stressful on a nurse. So my mom kind of like just put it in our heads. Like you cannot ask a nurse for help. Like just sit there and be good and wait until they come to you and don't be a pain. And that's what she's kind of put in our minds. So when I go to the hospital, if I need something, you know, if I'm sick or if I have an emergency or something like I feel that way. Like don't ask for anything. Don't be a pain. Like just sit here and fold your hands nicely. So part of it is like what we learn as we grow up, like don't ask anybody for anything. If somebody asks how you're doing, just tell them you're fine. And we experienced that with my dad being in the hospital uh, this past week. He would call us and say like, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm just so miserable and I can't do X, Y, Z and I need help with this and I need help with that. And there's nobody here. And we're like, dad, did you use your call button? Like you have a red call button and sometimes he wouldn't be able to find it. And so we'd have to call the nurse's station and be like, Hey, he's paralyzed and he can't find his call button. So you're going to need to go in there and probably help him. Um, but it was so funny that, well, maybe not funny, a little bit tragic that he would call us when he was miserable and really needed something. And he would refuse the nurses would come into the room and then he would just be like, yeah, everything's great. And he'd just joke around with them and make them laugh. And then they'd leave and he wouldn't have what he needed. So I know that it's like a deeply ingrained thing in humanity and not just in survivors of sexual abuse that you don't ask for help. You just kind of have it all together. You don't need things from people and everything's fine. But I will say this, and in chatting with a lot of folks on Survivor Sanctuary and listening to survivors and reading books by survivors over the years, I know that this is something that we struggle with disproportionately. Asking for help seems to be even more difficult for survivors of sexual abuse. So I started to think about like, why is it? Why is it so tough for us to just stop and ask for help. And so I've given you some of the reasons, you know, just in the story I told, like we're just taught, you know, from a young age, when people ask you how you're doing, it's like, you don't really want to tell somebody how you're doing, right? You just want to be like, oh, I'm great. Everything's great. And then like, you could be going through the worst crisis in your life and somebody asks how you're doing. And if it's not somebody that you're like super intimate with, like you're probably going to tell them everything's fine. Like, oh, it's great. Life's good. You know? And it's like, we're basically lying. We just lie because it's the polite thing to do. And so it's kind of ingrained in us as maybe a social norm. Like it's just the thing that you do. You don't tell people that you're struggling. You just, you know, keep your chin up and don't bother anybody with your crisis or whatever it is that's wrong. So as survivors, we obviously have those normal ways that we're raised and things that we're taught and messages we're given from the time we're kids. But then when you add sexual abuse into the mix, I think it becomes even more difficult for survivors of sexual abuse to just be able to stop and say, I need help. I can't do this anymore. I I need somebody to support me. And we had a really good conversation on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group about why it is that some of us have so much difficulty asking for help. And 
One of the comments was from one of our groupies. Can I call them groupies on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group? Ruth. Um, she said, vulnerability strikes me as weakness often. Asking for help when it's often been refused is especially hard. And I thought that was interesting that she didn't say asking for help strikes me as weakness often, but vulnerability strikes me as weakness often when we're talking about asking for help. And I thought, you know, that's really what it boils down to, right? It's not that help is a thing that is so awful and we can't let anybody know we need it. It's that letting people know that you need help is vulnerable. And vulnerability is tough, again, for the vast majority of the population. We struggle a little bit to be our true vulnerable selves based on things that we're taught. But as survivors of sexual abuse, there is a reason that vulnerability is an even greater struggle for us. So I started to dive into that a little bit and sort of unpack why it is that we are terrified of vulnerability as survivors of abuse. And I think that for me and for many other survivors, it boils down to the fact that we have this belief and it's a belief that was formed around abuse. So it's not a true belief, but it is a core belief nonetheless that vulnerability is dangerous. So it's not like with, I don't want to say like a regular person, we're all regular people, but with someone who hasn't experienced the trauma of sexual abuse or some other kind of massive trauma like that, you know, vulnerability might be scary because, oh, I don't want to be rejected by people. And that seems to be a theme for a lot of folks. Like if I'm vulnerable, I'll be rejected. People will reject me and they won't like me anymore. And so I have trouble being vulnerable because I don't want to experience that rejection. So that's something that humanity struggles with in general. But as survivors of abuse, vulnerability is not scary because we fear rejection. Vulnerability is scary because we fear being harmed. If you think back to your childhood or the time around when you were abused and somebody asked you to make a list of the reasons that you felt like you had been sexually abused? Like what is the reason that you were sexually abused? Why were you a target of abuse? Like if you get a question like that, you're probably going to sit down and like make a list, at least a mental list of, okay, why was I a target for sexual abuse? And the list would go something like, here's my list from when I was a child. I was one of five kids. And so I was just starved for attention. So that's the number one that seems to be on my list. I was starved for attention. Being one of five kids, you kind of have to fight for every second that you get. I didn't get one-on-one -on -one time a whole lot with the parents and, you know, with adults in my life. So I just really was attention starved and I just wanted someone to pay attention to me and I just wanted somebody to act like, you know, I was important and the person who abused me did that. And because I was so starved for that attention, I was a prime target for abuse. So if you notice something about the explanation I gave for why I was abused, it has everything to do with me and nothing to do with the person who abused me. Did you notice that? And if you make your own list of why you were sexually abused, I've got the feeling that you're probably going to come up with a very similar list and it's all going to be about you and absolutely not any of it unless you're at a super, super healed point in your life. None of it is going to be about the person who abused you. And that's really telling because we receive these messages and sometimes we give the messages to ourselves, but if we're being honest, 
Sometimes we get these messages from other people in society at large that if you were targeted for abuse, it is because you have some major vulnerability that made you a target and it puts the blame for being abused on you. Now, I know technically no one is saying, oh, it's your fault for being abused because you were needy or it's your fault for being abused because you were awkward and you didn't have very many friends or it was your fault for being abused because you were shy and quiet like I was when I was a kid. I was super shy, just so shy and a little bit, you know, yes, attention starved. And I've often felt like those are the reasons that I was sexually abused, but those reasons are about me. And I just want to put it out there real quick so that we can start reframing this in our minds a little bit. Um, the reason we were sexually abused and, and there's, there's pretty much one reason because somebody decided to do something horrible to us because of something that's wrong with them. I mean, that's the bottom line. Someone decided to abuse you, not because there was something wrong with you, not because you had some vulnerability that made you a person that needed to be abused by someone else. Someone abused you because they were abusive and terrible. Your being abused is all about the person who did it and none about you yourself. Like that's just the reality of abuse. The abused are not the people who need to be picked apart and said, oh, well, if only you weren't codependent, you wouldn't be abused. And if only you weren't shy and quiet and awkward, you wouldn't have been abused. And if only, you know, your parents had paid more attention to you, you wouldn't have been abused. No. If an abusive person had decided to be a good human being instead of a terrible one, you wouldn't have been abused. I mean, it's the, that's the bottom line. It is on the abuser. 100%. It's not you. It's not a character flaw that you have. It is not something that you need to work on in yourself so that you're less able to be abused by others. It is literally because when other people decide to be abusive, abuse results. And, and that's the bottom line. So I started to unpack the reasons that I thought that I'd been abused as a kid. And I really thought about it. And I was like, you know what? I don't remember being some super, super needy kid. I might've become a little bit more needy emotionally after sexual abuse, but before I don't really think that I was some like, like spastically needy child who just couldn't like get enough attention from the world. And I just needed so much attention. Like maybe I was a little dramatic or whatever, but honestly, looking at my behavior as a kid, I was a normal kid. I was a normal six-year-old kid. And yes, we had a chaotic household. And no, there was not enough one-on-one -on -one attention to go around to five different kids in the middle of a chaotic life. And so, yeah, those were things that could have been better. But none of them meant that there was something wrong with me that meant that I needed to be abused by someone else. And that's something I think a lot of us struggle to grasp. And it's one of the reasons that we struggle so much with vulnerability because we view vulnerability as the enemy. When we have allowed ourselves to be vulnerable with someone, we have been hurt and we've been harmed in some really, really serious ways. I'm not talking like, oh, I was vulnerable with someone and I shared a secret and then it got out and they told other people and I was embarrassed and I feel betrayed. I mean, that's bad enough. Like, I'm not trying to downplay if that <laughs> something like that has happened to you. Of course, that's a painful experience. But when it comes to like, okay, I was vulnerable with someone and they exploited my vulnerability in order to do really, really terrible traumatic things to me, like that is an experience that is going to change how your brain views vulnerability for the rest of your life or until you can get to the point where you begin to heal and you begin to really unpack why it is that you have this hostility toward vulnerability. And I think for me, I can definitely say it's a hostility toward vulnerability and that includes 
asking for help when I need it because those vulnerabilities have been used against us. It doesn't mean that the vulnerability was ever wrong in the first place. It just means that something that was totally normal and totally right, it's totally normal for humans to be vulnerable with each other. It was exploited and it was used against us by somebody who was just a terrible person. Like they did terrible things because they're terrible, not because we're vulnerable. And so if you can take anything away from this episode, I would say that it's reframing that belief that somehow the sexual abuse was your fault. Well, if I had only been less this or more this, if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't done that, if I'd been more normal, if I'd fit in better, if I'd done this X, Y, Z, if I'd had a dad, if I hadn't had a dad, you know, whatever it is, you write down those excuses that you give for why somebody would have wanted to abuse you. And then you look at that list and you say, you know what? We all have this stuff. These things happen to all of us. We all have vulnerabilities because we're human beings. Every single human being has vulnerabilities, but not every single human being decides to take those vulnerabilities and do horrible things to children. That is a choice that is 100% on the abuser and not on you. And I think that when you begin to reframe that in your mind and you take those little excuses and guys, they seem harmless, right? Like, I mean, to me, they did. Like, I would have these lists like, okay, why do you think you were abused? Well, you know, I really needed attention. I just needed somebody to pay attention to me because I I loved to talk and I loved to share my heart and I just loved to be close to people. And I just didn't, I wasn't getting that enough. Well, okay. But that's not a flaw in me. That's just the reality of the situation I was in, but lots of people want more attention and don't get abused by anyone else. It's a normal part of the human condition to maybe not get enough attention and wish that you had somebody to talk to more. And that does not equal like, well, then you deserve to be abused because you had this vulnerability. But that is how our minds, especially the younger that we're abused, the the more it tends to happen. In our minds, our vulnerability is what got us in trouble. Our vulnerability is what caused the abuse. Therefore, vulnerability is the enemy. Does that make sense? It just seems like it becomes this four-letter word, even though vulnerability is a lot more letters than four. (laughs) I don't know, because I didn't count them all, but it just becomes this like dirty word in our minds. I cannot be vulnerable. And to ask for help, like we're talking about on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page this week, to ask for help requires vulnerability. And I want to thank Ruth again for her comment, because it just like, you know, she didn't even say, well, asking for help is vulnerability. She just literally used the word vulnerability, like interchangeably with asking for help, because that's the reality. When you've got to get to the point where you ask somebody for help, you're being vulnerable. And that was definitely me this past week. I was just like, you know what? I have been in fight or flight mode, literally for like 72 hours straight with no end in sight. And I can't function like this. Like your body can't survive doing that. And so I just had to be like, somebody help, not a strong person anymore. I'm taking a break from being the strong person and I need you to get in here and help me fix stuff. And guess what? When I opened my mouth and I asked for help, I got it. And it's pretty amazing how that works. But in order to do that, I had to get to the point where I was willing to be vulnerable. And uh, this is not the extent of my struggles with vulnerability. They like pretty much permeate every area of my life. But I will tell you that like, almost every single time I post an episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I have this thought like, I should just delete all this so that 
nobody hears me say these things. Like, especially if, you know, if I'm doing an interview and we're talking about someone else, it's all great. But if I'm talking about just like a personal struggle or something that I'm really having a problem with, or just being absolutely real, like I made that deal with myself. I'm going to start this podcast, but only if I can be completely real about the struggles, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to BS about it. I'm just going to tell you the truth about how much it sucks and what the struggle is really like, because I don't think there's a point otherwise, but it does give me these, I call them vulnerability hangovers. Like you, just are super vulnerable in a podcast. You, you pour your heart out. You tell people the raw truth about yourself, nothing pretty to decorate it up and make it look better. And then afterwards, there's this thought of like, I can't let anybody hear this because it's too vulnerable. I'm, I'm showing too much of the real me and I don't look strong and I don't look polished and I don't look put together. And do I really want to put that out into the universe? I mean, do I? So that is a struggle, like that vulnerability hangover. Like in the moment, it's like, you know what? I'm sharing my heart and it's okay. Everybody can hear this. And afterwards, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that to the whole world. (laughs) Like, okay, the whole world is not listening to this podcast, but in the world of this podcast, people are hearing things about me that I don't just randomly walk around sharing with every single person. So there is that vulnerability hangover afterwards. And it's just like, you're in this moment of regret, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was so vulnerable. It feels so icky and dirty. But that is a result of having been abused as a child and having your brain just have this ingrained belief, this core belief that vulnerability is the enemy because vulnerability is what got you abused. But here's something that we need to say to ourselves. Vulnerability did not get us abused. An abusive person got us abused. Like that's the bottom line. Every single person in the entire world who exists is vulnerable. Every person. Some people like to pretend they're not, and they like to give themselves like motivational speeches, like I am in control and I'm in power and I can do whatever I want. Like the the bottom line is all of us have vulnerabilities. None of us are in complete control and we all have to depend on other human beings to an extent. So vulnerability is not a weakness. It's just a part of who we are as human beings. Like that's it. And when we're able to be vulnerable with each other, it's actually something that is quite a strength or that can help us to build strength because we can get the help that we need and not try to carry everything on our shoulders alone because that doesn't usually tend to get us very far. So the next time that you're thinking about, you know, why is it that I was abused or if you know, somebody asks the question, because honestly, I've been in therapy before and I've read books about sexual abuse that talk about, you know, what are the vulnerabilities that were exploited and used against you? And instead of thinking about the abuser as being someone terrible, like who would do that? Who would use that vulnerability against me? Like what a jerk. Instead of that, we think like, oh, if only I hadn't been so flawed, I wouldn't have been abused. And that's just not the reality. You were abused, not because of your vulnerability, but because someone abusive decided to abuse you and they created an opportunity to do it. And then they did it. And it wasn't because of you and your vulnerability or any weakness in you. It was just because they suck. I mean, that's the bottom line. I was abused because my abuser sucks the end. And I know that oversimplifies it just a little bit. And that's not not probably going to be the end of your lifelong struggle with blaming yourself for abuse because self-blame is a huge thing that we deal with as survivors. But I think that it's a good starting point to changing vulnerability from a four-letter word to what it actually is, which is a strength. Your vulnerability is a strength. It is not a weakness. Your ability to be real, to ask for help, to tell people who you actually are and what's actually going on inside, that takes strength and that takes a lot of courage. 
And it doesn't make you a weak human being or less than somebody else. And there's always, you know, a risk involved. If you want to talk about the emotions involved with being vulnerable, of course, it's scary, you know, for normal human reasons. I I hate to say normal human because (laughs) I don't want you to think that I'm talking about survivors of abuse as non-normal humans, but I just mean the average human being is going to struggle with vulnerability and viewing it as a weakness and that fear of rejection. But for survivors of abuse, it actually becomes about survival. We can't survive if we're vulnerable because in the past, when we've been vulnerable, our survival has been threatened. And it might seem like a simple thought and it might seem like a simple solution. Okay, well, I just have to tell myself that vulnerability is not a weakness, but a strength. And that's a great starting point. But it's something that's so ingrained in us that it's kind of just second nature. And so some of it has to be worked through more. And you can do that with a therapist if you have a therapist you want to work through with. But I find that one way to just start that process is to really sit and think about the reasons that you tell yourself you were abused. What are the reasons that I give myself? You know, I mean, I've mentioned that for me, it's that I needed attention. Like I was so attention starved and I just needed for somebody to pay attention to me and that got me abused. And I'll go down the list of, you know, why it is like, oh, I was a needy kid. I was this, I was that, I was this, I was that. And then, you know, take that, take that paper. If you write it down or take those thoughts, if you're just making a mental list and I I want you to just with your mental pen, put a strike through every single thing on that list that is about you because you, you were not abused because of things that were wrong with you. You were abused because of what was wrong with the person who abused you. So if everything on your list is about you, your whole list, I don't want to say like it's wrong, but it is. Your whole list is wrong if everything is about you. And if you have anything on there about my abuser, well, I was abused because my abuser sucks. Like that's pretty much the only thing that should be on that list of why you were abused. Not because of you, not because you're vulnerable, not because you had the audacity to ask for help with something, but because your abuser sucks. That's why you were abused. And I think that when you start to really stop yourself when those thoughts come, and I've actually had to do it just in preparing for this episode, and I actually began recording and I had to stop myself like a whole bunch of times because I kept saying things about why I was abused that had to do with me. And it's because they're so ingrained in there, guys. Like it is like built into your brain now that this is the thing. And the only way to change those messages is to replace them with new messages that are actually reality. And it will take time, but it will definitely happen if you keep thinking about it, working on it and telling yourself that message. I was not abused because of me. I was not abused because I was vulnerable. I was abused because my abuser sucks. Like I was abused because somebody decided to be an abuser. The problem is 100% on them. You know, every single human being is vulnerable and not every single human being is sexually abused. And if we can start viewing vulnerability as a strength and not a weakness, our lives are really gonna start to change. And the way that we interact with other people is really gonna start to change. The way that we heal is gonna start to change. And I'm grateful in my own life that I've seen this happening, that I've seen a shift. But regardless of that shift being there, I still notice that those messages are so ingrained that I have to really stop myself when I'm talking about why I was abused or how I was as a child and and just those negative messages that my brain has been feeding me. Like, you are the reason that you were abused and therefore, you know, you suck and it's all about you. And it, it just isn't. It's all about the person who decided to abuse you. And that is where all of the blame belongs. 
in all of our stories, not on us, just on the person who decided to exploit normal human vulnerability so that they could be abusive. We don't need to shrink from vulnerability anymore because we believe that that's what made us targets for abuse. We can actually, knowing where the blame belongs, like not on me, not on my vulnerability, 100% on my abuser, that's when we can start to change our relationship with vulnerability. I have despised vulnerability in my lifetime. I mean, I've told you about the vulnerability hangovers, but I mean, as a kid, I would not show any kind of emotional weakness unless I got to the point where I just didn't have control anymore because I was just spiraling out of control. But I made it a point. Like I would make fun of women who cried at like movies or men who cried at movies. Like I would just take pride in the fact that I would never cry at a sad or romantic movie. Like that's dumb and nobody ever better bring me flowers. Flowers are stupid. And like, you know, I, I'm not going to show anybody any signs of weakness. And I had this hostility toward vulnerability. And I realized when I began healing from sexual abuse, the whole reason that I was so hostile toward vulnerability and appearing vulnerable, like, oh, oh heavens, to to cry or show emotion in front of somebody, how horrible. The reason I was so hostile toward that was because it got me, in my mind, sexually abused as a kid. But that's not what got me sexually abused as a kid. What got me sexually abused was an abuser was like, hey, I think I'll abuse that person because I'm an abuser and I suck. Like that's the bottom line. So changing that relationship with vulnerability has made it easier for me to be able to stop and ask for help. Made it easier. Definitely didn't just like cure me of all of my weird feelings about vulnerability. I get weird feelings. It'll give me anxiety sometimes to be vulnerable. I'll be like, oh my gosh, why did I say those vulnerable things to people? I'll get mad at myself for sharing or I'll think just sharing normal human, you know, emotion is oversharing and it's really not. It's just that you get so used to hiding that part of yourself because you view it as weakness and you view it as danger that when you become vulnerable, you really have to get used to putting yourself out there. One of the things that I love about having the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group is that I don't think, I mean, maybe we still worry about vulnerability and looking bad. And like, sometimes, yes, I'll post something in there. and be like, oh, that was so vulnerable. People now know that I'm struggling with something. I suck. You know, I have to fight those feelings sometimes, but I love having that group to go to and to just be like, you know what? I need to vent today because something terrible is wrong. Or I just am upset about something and I I need to be here. Um, Over the last week, there was some news of a prominent, I won't, won't call him religious leader, but very prominent in evangelical Christianity who passed away and who has a history of sexual abuse. And it was a struggle for survivors of abuse to watch everybody eulogizing him. Like I had family members who were doing it like, oh my goodness, the world is going to miss this amazing man. And I don't want to take anything away from his family and their grief. And that's not my point at all. And that's one of the reasons like I'm not going to expound on this too much, but just to say that we were struggling with that pain of like, oh, you know, everybody's like worshiping someone that we know was an abuser who didn't really repent, who never really admitted to what he did wrong. And, and it hurt us to see that happening. Like, okay, it doesn't matter who he harmed. It doesn't matter who, you know, he did X, Y, Z to, it doesn't matter that he didn't repent because he just wrote really great books and was a great speaker, you know? So we were able to share and just sort of vent our frustrations with each other on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And that was awesome. And I love that that is a place where we can be vulnerable with each other. And that's another tip. In addition to like writing down the reasons why you think you were abused and making sure that 
absolutely every single one of them has nothing to do with you and everything to do with your abuser. In addition to that, I think that practicing being vulnerable is also going to get you to the point where maybe you're not going to look at vulnerability as being a dirty word, or maybe you're not going to look at it as a danger to yourself is finding a safe place where you can do that. And I love that the survivor sanctuary Facebook group is a place where we can do that. Nobody's going to judge you for your vulnerability. Nobody's going to be like, uh, Hey, like, why are you complaining? How about you just love Jesus and pray and everything will be fine and stop talking about this. Like you're not going to get that in the group. You're going to get support from people who understand where you're coming from. And even though all of our experiences are different, not every single one of us can relate hundred percent. We're there for each other. And we, you know, we know the drill, we know the things that people go through and we're going to be supportive. And I love that about the group. So if you want to practice being vulnerable, you want to practice just being able to kind of open up, be yourself and even ask for help. Like if you need help, uh, just go ahead and Hey, I, I invite you to practice in the survivor sanctuary Facebook group. We would love to have you there. And you know, I always, I love to hear, not that I love to hear that people are struggling, but I love that people feel the freedom to share if they're having a struggle and allowing us the the privilege and I believe it is a privilege and an honor to be a part of the encouragement maybe not a solution every time because we don't all have solutions to every problem but just being a part of helping you get through whatever it is that you're experiencing whatever it is that you're dealing with and I think that that group is a great place to start so I want to invite you there to that well that's what I've got for you this week asking for help it is not a weakness it is a strength and the reason that we shrink back from it so much is because it's also a vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable to ask for help. And we've unpacked a lot of the reasons why for us as survivors, that is very difficult. But starting from the beginning and placing all the blame for your abuse where it belongs, it's a great starting point uh, to help kind of reframe that in your mind. Well, that is it for this episode. I want to remind you that you can be a supporter of Survivor Sanctuary by going to anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and click on support and you can become a monthly supporter of the podcast if you want to keep this content coming at you every week. I would love to have you as a supporter there. Well, I will catch you back here next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.